Praise God. Welcome to everyone this morning. If you're a guest today, we welcome you. We are so thankful to have you in service with us. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as a part of this service. Pray that you're blessed by it today. It's good to have Brother and Sister Cobb in service with us this morning. Will and Stephanie. Amen. And also, good to have my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, the Strites, in service today. They are in town for baby dedication. Of course, perhaps many of you don't know it, but they're a part of Antioch for a long time. So, good to have them today. Amen. Quick reminders, this evening we do have a baby dedication. So, uh... Wanting to participate in that this evening, you're welcome to. And then following the service, uh, also we will have a um, fellowship. Um, not sure if there's a decision yet, but it will either be on the patio or in the fellowship hall. And uh, our Hispanic daughter work is preparing the food, so I know it will be very good. Amen. Praise God. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11. Start reading with verse number 32. Hebrews 11:32. What shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence that is so richly manifested in this place. Thank you, God, for the way you are working and ministering in this service. Lord, there are things that I believe you've already done. We may not comprehend them with our natural eye, but we can sense with our spiritual man that you are doing things of significance in this place, and I thank you for that. I pray now, God, that you would continue to minister that you would minister through your word, that your spirit would speak to hearts and lives here today. God, I pray this morning that this is not just a sermon to take up time in this service, but let me be a messenger that can deliver a word that comes from you. I trust you for your anointing today. Acknowledge, Lord, that without you I can do nothing. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Today we often refer to, and I'm sure this wasn't the case throughout all of time because it wasn't quite the way it is now, but nowadays we have halls of fame for a variety of things. Professional sports have their Hall of Fame. Rock stars have their Hall of Fame. There are other 
various areas of life that have a hall of fame. And so Hebrews chapter 11 has oftentimes now been referred to as faith's hall of fame. When you read throughout this entire chapter, especially much of what comes before the verses I have read, you will find names mentioned in this passage that are well-known names throughout Scripture. Some of the names that are most commonly told in Bible stories in Sunday school are some of the names that we find throughout the beginning of this chapter. The verses that we read this morning says there's there's not time to continue on to talk about all of them. Time would not permit. And one of those mentioned in this verse, which is really probably one of the more well-known characters of the Bible, is David, King David. And in essence, he is kind of mentioned here sort of in passing. But there are, there are names that become well-known if you attend Sunday school as a child throughout your life. There are, there are some names that you will hear that become the commonly spoken characters of the Bible, the heroes, the great stories. But this verse says that there are also some others. Not only are there some others that are unmentioned, But even some of the ones that are mentioned are not quite as well known. There's a couple of names in the verse 32, in verse 32 that are recognizable. Most of us have heard the story of Gideon. Many of us know the story of Samson and David and Samuel, one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. You may not know much about Barak, but I also suppose most of you don't really know much about Jephthah. Jephthah, in fact, how many of you would acknowledge you don't really know much about Jephthah? Anybody? Uh, Most of you. This is not a trick. This is not going to be an indictment. I'm not setting you up. You just help demonstrate my point. He's not one of the ones you heard about as a child in Sunday school, the story of Jephthah. It's not one of the ones that you've heard preached throughout your life. And many of you have read through the Bible, the entire Bible, so no doubt you've obviously at least read the name, but it had little impact on you. But in the course of listing these great accomplishments throughout Scripture and things that were accomplished by faith, Jephthah is included, not just referred to as one of the ones in verse 33 or 34. Even in verse 33 and 34, there are things that are mentioned there that we know Who they're talking about, it talks about stopping the mouths of lions. We know that has to do with Daniel. It's not that Jephthah is one of the ones referred to in the things that were done without a name. His name is mentioned and yet we don't really know much about him. 
And I pray by the help of the Lord this morning, Jephthah's life would be an encouragement to somebody in this place today. So let's go back to Judges chapter 11 and see what it is we can learn about Jephthah. Judges 11 and 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife, Gilead's wife, bare him sons. And his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. You are not our true brother. You were born from a relationship that is not the same as the one between our mother and our father, our mother being the wife of our father. And so the Bible says they reject him. They send him away. They don't want anything to do with him. They tell him, you're, you're not getting anything from our household. You're, you're not getting anything from our father. You have no part here. Our dad might be your dad, but that's where it stops. Beyond that, you, you, we don't want you around. We don't want anything to do with you. And so they send him away. Verse 3 says, Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made War against Israel. Let me, let me pause for a moment to come back to part of the point that I want you to get. Here we have in Hebrews chapter 11, as the writer is going through and listing, a, giving us an overview, a summary of things that had been accomplished up to that point in time by faith. And in the midst of that list, he references this man by the name of Jephthah. But I, I want to make sure you see, I want to make sure you notice the circumstances with which Jephthah's life started out. The beginning of his life starts from a relationship that is not a proper relationship and he reaches the point in time where his siblings are aware of what has happened and understand what has gone on and so they reject him and they send him away. They banish him from being a part of the family. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want any part of you. You, 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 you may, again, you, you may share the same father, but that's where it ends. And so we want you to leave and we don't want you around. And so he has no choice but to do what it is they said. 
I believe there are some people here this morning that may not be the exact same circumstances that Jephthah experienced in his life, but I believe there are some people in this sanctuary today that can relate to the life of Jephthah. You can relate to the feeling of rejection. You can relate to the feeling of being unwanted. You can relate to being forsaken or abandoned by those that should be the ones that support you the most. The problem with that is for the high percentage of people, it's very difficult for that to be the basis, the foundation of your life, and it not drive you to live a life motivated by bitterness. The problem with hurting people is hurting people make decisions that hurt other people. Not usually consciously, sometimes consciously, but not necessarily a premeditated thing to hurt somebody. But when you make decisions that are motivated by hurt, your decisions will usually cause more hurt. We, we ultimately are responsible for our own actions. We, we have to make our own choices and we have to accept the consequences of our decisions. You and I cannot control what others do. We can't control how others treat us. What we can control is the response that we have to it. The old, I say old, I don't know how old it is, but it's becoming more common. I've heard it more commonly used. And that is you can become bitter or you can become better. You can allow what you go through to get, to get lodged in your heart and produce bitterness and resentment and hatred toward others, or you can allow that to produce something else. And the thing, Joseph said this to his brethren after he revealed himself to them, what, what you meant for evil. The thing you did to hurt me, the thing you did to destroy me, is actually the thing that God used for good. What an amazing thing it is when you reach the place in your life that you can look back at some of the most painful events you've been through. When you can look back at some of the most difficult times you've experienced and you can look back and say, what was intended or what may have been intended to ruin me actually turned into being one of the greatest blessings of my life. I've heard it many times now throughout my life where there are people that have been through very tragic situations, people that have been abused and mistreated in some point in their life that reach a place and they say, if I could go back and go and go and not have to go through that and my life could take a different course, I would not accept that option because I understand that what I went through was such an important part of the making of who I I am, but you've got to decide, am I going to become bitter from it, or will I become better? I know, I I know, and our, our, our natural mind, our finite mind, has some trouble sometimes comprehending some of the principles of the Word of God. Not saying we don't believe them, it's just our finite minds have trouble understanding some things about the Word of God. 
And to me, one of those things is you and I have been given a free will. We've been given the right to make our own choices. It's one of the things that distinguishes us from the angels is they didn't have a right. They weren't given the right to choose. And that's why when Lucifer and those that followed him were kicked out of heaven, there was no opportunity for them to find redemption because they didn't have a right to choose. The reason you and I can make mistakes and still find salvation is because we were given the right to choose. And God knew that we would make some dumb decisions. And He knew that the right to choose would cause some heartache and pain. And so from the very beginning, He decided in advance, I don't know how many others of you will know this, but I know Chester Spriggs will know it. It was not a haphazard event or a secondary scheme, but it was the plan of the Lord to redeem. That's a quote from one of my all-time favorite groups, the Winans. God did not look at man's decisions and the, the direction. God didn't look at the day and time in which Noah lived with shock and surprise that everything they imagined to do was bad. God knew from the beginning that was the decisions they were going to make. And so before He ever created man, He already had in mind the plan for man's redemption. Before He ever spoke the worlds into existence, He already knew He was was going to have to become a man and lay his life down to provide salvation. He didn't look at the condition of mankind and go, oops, what have I done? And so he knows the end from the beginning. Some have taken that concept and twisted it to say that our outcome is predestined. It is predestined whether or not you're going to be saved or not. So it doesn't really matter. That's not the case. Because we have the right to choose. And so, God, I understand that from, from one perspective, God knew that when He allowed Satan to mess with Job's life, I understand God knows the end from the beginning. But if I could say it this way, he still had to take the risk that I will let the enemy destroy Job's life and he will still trust me. And so you and I have to decide when God does or allows things in our lives that are painful, that cause us great difficulty, we must decide, is this going to become a wedge between God and I? Or will I decide, like Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You, you, you must decide. Unfortunately, too many times, again, we make our decisions motivated by the hurt and pain of our own lives. And in essence, we end up just simply creating a cycle of more and more heartache and pain. But I've come to tell you today, and I hope the life of Jephthah amongst others throughout Scripture that could be used in the same way, 
will demonstrate to you today that whatever your past has been and whatever your present may even be, it is not what determines the possibility and the potential of your future. That where you've come from and what you have experienced to this point in life is not the conclusion of the rest of your life. Simply because you've been rejected or simply because you've been through heartache and pain and life might be a mess right now, that does not mean that's the only hope you have for the future. came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Didn't didn't you hate me? Am I not the one that you rejected? You ex- Did you not expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us. If we do not so according to thy words, then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Are you... Are you saying I, the one that you cast out previously, now you are asking for my help and now you are welcoming me back, welcoming me back in? Yes, that's, that's exactly what we are saying. For those of you that may not really be aware of this in the Bible throughout scripture, there was great significance in a name. Nowadays, there's not a whole lot of significance necessarily that goes into the picking of a name. Probably, I'm sure you can do it online, but I remember back when we were having children, they had these little books about that size. You could get one for girls' names and you could get one for boys' names. Listed in alphabetical order in that books was all these names and If you were struggling with the name for your child, you could get one of those books and just go through until you find the one you like. But in Scripture, many, many, many times, the name given to a person was very important because of the meaning of it. So all of that, for you to understand why I tell you the meaning Of Jephthah's name. Jephthah. The one who was born in. Not the greatest of circumstances. Jephthah. The one. Who his brethren. Cast him out of the family. 
reject him, tell him they want nothing to do with him. According to the Easton's Bible Dictionary, Jephthah's name means whom God sets free. Whom God sets free. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says that his name means God will set free. God will set free. I I don't know if at the point his brothers rejected him and sent him away. I, I don't know if he knew the meaning of his name or not. I don't know if he was aware of the significance and the the meaning of the name his parents had given to him. However, it didn't matter what he went through. It didn't matter what his circumstances were. God was going to set him free. God was going to help him. God was going to intervene on his behalf. I got a feeling that there was a significant period of time that Jephthah had no idea that God was working on his behalf. I got a feeling that he had no clue what was going on someplace else, that God was in the process of orchestrating it so that the same ones who had rejected him would now come to him and ask for his help. But that's what was going on. And I say that because I believe there are some people in this place today that you may not be aware of what God has been doing. In fact, you may not be aware of God's presence in your life. But even even without you knowing what he's doing, I can tell you today, and there are many that can testify today, that even when I didn't know he was working, even when I didn't know he had a clue where I was, he was at work in my life. Job, Job said it this way. Job was in the midst of his trial and Job said, I I looked for him in front of me and I couldn't find him. I looked for him behind me and I couldn't find him. He he said, I looked on him, I looked for him on the left hand where he was working and, and I couldn't find him. I looked on the right hand and I couldn't find him. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to acknowledge it if you don't want to. But is there anybody that's ever been in the past or is currently in a place where you can relate to what Job is saying? I'm looking everywhere I know to look. I'm going in every direction. I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I can't seem to find God. I pray. And it's like I'm in a room, locked in a room. And all my prayers do is bounce off from one wall to the other. I try to find him the way I know how to find him. And all I hear is silence. And all I feel is aloneness. But Job said after all of that, I don't know where he is, but here's what I do know. He knows where I am. I may not be able to find him, but he knows exactly where I am. And when he gets done, everything's going to work out all right. I, I gotta tell you, I don't know, maybe it's not this way for you, but it's a challenge for me in those times where I can't find him to trust that he knows where I am. Notice, 
Notice Job didn't say, I can't find him, but he'll find me. No, no. Job didn't say, I've looked everywhere searching for him, and I can't find him, but I'm counting on the fact he will find me. No, 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 no. Job said, I can't find him. I'm looking everywhere I know to look. I'm doing everything I know to do. I can't find him, but he knows. He knows exactly where I am. In fact, according to His Word, every step that I am taking has been ordered by Him. If He has ordered my steps, then He must know exactly where I am. You, you guys are, you guys are coming back asking me for my, yeah, we want your help. If, if I give you my help, does that mean the future is going to be different than the past? Yes, it's going to be different than the past. Yeah, we're not going to get done with you and send you away again. This is going to change. The end is going to be different from the beginning. Why? Because God's going to set you free. Why? Because God's been working on your behalf. Why? Because you may not have known where He is, but God has known exactly where you are. You see, the reason, part of the reason to me why Jephthah's name is so significant and important for us to understand is because I'm not preaching to you today about some kind of magical change in your life, some kind of lucky break. Not tre- I'm not preaching to you about your finances turning around because you suddenly won the lottery. Not preaching to you about your life turning around because you've suddenly found out you are the heir apparent to the throne of Genovia. Not preaching that this morning. Because the turnaround I'm preaching about is a God-orchestrated, a God-ordained, a God-done change that doesn't take place because suddenly you got the break you've been waiting on. Suddenly your ship came in. No, I'm talking about it changing because God steps on the scene and God says, I've been working all along, but now let me show you what it is I've been doing even before you knew I I was doing it. If you read Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 is kind of one of those passages, no offense. There's a few places in the Bible you read and you're like, I know this is in the Bible. I'm sure it's there for important reasons. But I have no interest in this at all. And in some ways, Matthew chapter 1 can, to me, be one of those passages. Because Matthew chapter 1 is a listing of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And, and most of it reads just basically, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. There's something that's very interesting to me about the listing of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. The majority of the names that are mentioned in Matthew 1 are the names of the male ancestors of Jesus. 
It is the men who are a part of his bloodline. But you will find in that passage there are four ladies that are mentioned. Out of all the women that were a part of that process, there are only four that are mentioned in Matthew. One of those four is found in verse number 5 of Matthew 1, and it says, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. All four, including the two mentioned here, and both of these are two of those four. All four of the women that were actually mentioned, the interesting thing about them is they all have some strikes against them. All four ladies that are mentioned are the four ladies who apparently out of all of that genealogy were the ones that are the ones to be forgotten. The second one mentioned in this verse, Ruth, wasn't necessarily that Ruth had lived some kind of an inappropriate life, but Ruth was a Gentile. She was a Moabite woman. She didn't have a right to be expected to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But in spite of what she had a right to, ins- to expect, God had determined, I know you're out here in some far off place and you're not really supposed to be a part of the greatest, one of the greatest things that is going to ever happen in the history of all of mankind. But I'm going to let you be a part of that. Rahab, Rahab, Rahab here just simply says, Boaz of Rahab, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. The bottom line is, if you read in the Old Testament where we first hear about Rahab, it is clearly stated, Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Jephthah's brother's rejected him because he was born from a harlot. He was born out of an inappropriate relationship. And yet Jesus Christ, God, in His divine plan, chose. Let me show you how great my grace is. Let me show you how spectacular what I can do is. I'm going to use those that should not be used to bring about what I'm going to do. And so inserted into the genealogy of Jesus is a woman by the name of Rahab who was a harlot. Why? Because God had decided before she ever knew what was going on, I'm going to take you from where you are. I'm going to take you from what your past has been. And I've got a future for you that is not based upon what you should expect it to be but it's based on the fact that I decided I know how you've started but I've got a whole different ending for your life let me just, just, just for our guest's sake for our guest's sake so this is not simply some kind of 
theoretical message here this morning. Is there anybody sitting here today that is a living testimony that when you hear this today and you hear the things I'm talking about, you can relate that you've been there, you've been through that. Anybody can testify today that you sit here and you look back at where you used to be, what you used to be, what you used to do, and there is absolutely no reason for you to be where you are today. There's no reason for you to have the life you have today. There's no reason for you to have the family you have today. But God stepped into your world and God all along had a plan. I know what you've gone through. I know what life has been like so far. But I've got something for you that the end is not going to be the same as the beginning. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Paul says it this way, but God, but God, you used to be this, you used to do that, you used to live that way, but God, who is rich in mercy, stepped into your world, and what you are today, and where you're heading today, is so much different And what you've come from. But again. Not talking about some kind of. Lucky break. Mysterious change. That just happens in your life. I was riding in the car yesterday. And I don't remember what prompted it. But it was a verse that popped into my mind. And so felt like this was the general theme I was going to preach this morning, but it was one of those times that I was wrestling between, am I supposed to preach this or am I supposed to preach that? And then finally, early this morning, I went, oh, it's not one or the other. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, Paul says this, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not holding what they did wrong against them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. You know what this verse means? And I don't mean this with arrogance because... Quite honestly, most of the time I struggle with this. But, but what this verse is saying is that what I'm doing here this morning, and I know it's not that this verse is not limited to preaching. I understand that. But in the context of this verse this morning, I am the mouthpiece of God to you. I am not here giving you a speech. I am here speaking for God right now. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled, to God. We are speaking on His behalf. And it's this next verse that came to me yesterday, and I was in the car for a while, and I just found myself com- coming back to it numerous times. And Paul says this For he hath made him. To be sin for us, 
who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He who did not know sin, He who was the spotless, sinless Lamb, became sin for us so that we, in turn, could become righteous. Anybody ever covered a shift or whatever for for a fellow employee so they could take off? Anybody ever? Somebody on the job, I, I... I need off. Maybe it was just because they wanted to take a day off to relax, or maybe they had something they needed to deal with, and so they they look around. I need somebody to take my shift. I would imagine that if you've done that, or if somebody's done that for you, I'm I'm assuming you would probably be courteous enough to say, hey, I, I really appreciate you doing this for me. Really appreciate you helping me out. The bottom line is you didn't do it for free. You knew you'd get paid for now. It may have been, you know, it may be some degree of inconvenience, but you knew you you were still going to get some degree of benefit out of it. You know, I mean, that's that's a nice thing. That's a kind thing for somebody to do. But but him becoming sin is not like just taking a shift for your coworker. It's not. It's not a. It's not a fair trade. There is nothing equal about the exchange. Sister Trashir referenced it this morning. He said, I will give you beauty for ashes. I'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'll give you the oil of joy in return for your mourning, your sorrow. There's nothing, there's nothing fair about that. There's nothing equal about that. I, I'm going to take your sin on me and the consequences of your sin on me so that you can have my innocence. That's, that's the way. That's how you and I can have a future that is not simply a continuation of my past. The reason I can have hope that tomorrow can be different from today is not because I got the lucky numbers. It's not because I suddenly found out I was in the air. I was, I was in the will of my rich uncle and ever. No, no, no. The way that my future is different is because I finally accept the fact I can give you all my baggage. I can give you all my junk. I can give you everything from my past. And when I give it to you, it's not just that I leave it with you and walk away free from that but in exchange in exchange you give me innocence you understand part of the difference of that is 
is is is if you if you went to court for a crime that you committed and 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 all the evidence was presented and and and, and the case was a closed case shut closed you are guilty and for some reason the judge says I'm not not going to sentence you for this crime not going to make you pay for what you've done You walk out of the courtroom and you are free from the penalty. However, you're not innocent. You're not innocent. The judge didn't say you were innocent. He just said, not going to make you pay. You know, I got to tell you, it, it would be enough it would be enough of a gift for God to simply say to us, I've decided you're not going to have to pay for your sins. I've decided I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. I'm going to take away. If God stopped there, what an amazing blessing that would be. But He doesn't stop there. He says, not only am I not going to make you pay, not only am I not going to give you the punishment you deserve, but I'm going to make a trade with you. I'm going to give you my innocence and I'm going to take on your guilt so that not only are you free from the penalty, but now you're free from the shame. You're free from the stain of the past. God will set you free. God will take care of you. God will make a way. It may be it may be only one person in this place today. It may just be one. There's some pretty amazing things God has done throughout all of time for just one. So if it is simply one, but I kind of think it's probably more than one. But even if it is just one here today, Jephthah and Rahab and Ruth, countless others, in addition to those that sit in this sanctuary today who are living proof that your future does not simply have to be a continuation of your past. There's, there's, there's somebody, there's somebody today that God wants to make a trade with you. God wants to make a trade with you today. He wants to take your guilt. He wants to take your wrong. He wants... He wants to the one who knew no sin became sin for us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I, I know maybe maybe in some ways it's not recognize the same way it was a little earlier in this service but 
The presence of the Lord has been here all morning, touching and ministering to hearts and lives. And I believe with all of my heart He is not finished this morning. And there is somebody here today. There are some people here today. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here that you've already experienced what it is for Him to turn your life around, but you, you, you've made mistakes and you've stumbled and you fell. And now you think, you know, kind of like the prodigal son, I'm going to go back to my father's house, but I'm just going to be a servant. I know my future can't be what it was going to be. I know I can't have the same expectations that I would have had if I had not made my mistakes. But the same way in which the prodigal's father was waiting on him to restore him, the same way the Spirit of God is reaching for some people in this place today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hey, I know this is not the most comfortable way to do this, especially if you're a guest. My job is not to just simply appeal to your flesh or my flesh, but do my best to follow what the Spirit of the Lord leads me to do, and this is what I feel right now. If you're in this place this morning and you're willing to acknowledge, you know what? I, what I'm hearing today applies to me. What, what I'm hearing today, I can relate to that. What I've been through in my life, I can relate to that, and I need that. I want that. I want my life. I want my future to be different than what my past has been. I want to invite you right now to Get up out of your seat and come down to this front, this altar, as a sign to say, God, I, I'm here to make an exchange with you today. I'm here to make that trade with you today, God. I'm here to give you my guilt, my sin, and receive your innocence. God, if you are willing, God, if you are willing to take my sin, the one that knows sin, the one that knows what it is to mess up and make mistakes, if you're willing to take that and give me your innocence, I, I accept. I need some help in the altar. I accept. I accept, God, if my future can be different than my past, not because, some, not because of some lucky break, not because of some mysterious, mystical change, but because of an exchange, God, that you made a way for. You know my name. I want it. I need you to help me, God. I need you to intervene on my behalf, God. I need you to do, God, what I can't do. I can't, I can't make my future be different than my past. I can't somehow will my future to be different. I can't. But God, your blood... Your blood working in my life, Ken. Your spirit working on my behalf can give me a future that's different than my past. I 
I believe there's some Jephthahs in this place today. I believe there's some Rahabs in this place today. I believe there's some people in this place that what God has planned for your future is much different than what you expect it to be. I believe that God's desires for your future are much greater than what you think they're going to be because you're living based on where you've been and what you're going through. God can help you. God can work on your behalf. God can intervene on your behalf. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh God, let there be a Jephthah here today. That life has started one way. Life has started with one course, one path. But somewhere along the way, there is a God-ordained change. There is a transformation that you have purposed in our lives. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Here I am, God. I know I don't have anything of value to give. I know that what I have is broken. I know that what I have is a mess. I know I've got damaged goods. And I don't have anything to give of worth and of value. But you said you would trade. You said you would make the exchange. So God, I'm going to accept that today. I'm going to make that trade with you today, God. I'm going to give you my past. I'm going to give you the mess from my past in exchange for the future that you have ordained for me, God. In exchange for the future that you have intended for me, Lord. I know that everything I've been through so far, I know the life I have lived so far, all of the evidence of that says that I shouldn't have any hope for a future. I shouldn't have any good expectations for my future. But God, you have a way. You have a way of exchanging my stuff for what you have. You have a way, God, of intervening in the course of my life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. By the power of your Spirit, God. By the power of your Spirit today, God. In Jesus' name. Not against me. I may have felt it abandoned. I may have felt forsaken. I may have felt like I can't find you anywhere. But God, you know. You know exactly where I am. You know, you know, you know where I am, God. You know what I'm going through. You haven't allowed the circumstances of my life to destroy me. You haven't brought them to destroy me, but you're working everything, everything, everything for my good, Lord. I 
can't see it, you're at work. If I can't feel it, you're at work. If I can't see you doing it, you're still working. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, you are our help. God, you are our help. You are the one who sets us free. You are the one that delivers us. You are the one that changes the course of our life. Oh, how you talk to me. You are the one who comes in and freely gives mercy and grace. Not based on what I deserve. Not based on the price that I'm able to pay. Based on your love, you've made the way. Based on your love, you've made the way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Aramando lo lo boshe ki alarabahai. Ki aranda lo lo boko name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, I know that from every bit of evidence from the past, I I know from all the patterns of my past, I know what I have a right to expect, I know what I deserve in my future, but God, you have a way, you have a way, God, of intervening. You have a way of drawing a line of distinction between my past and my future. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I give you, I give you my sin today. I give you my sin today and I accept your innocence. I give you my guilt and my pain, my shame give you all of my mistakes today and I receive your innocence God I I don't deserve it it's an exchange that I can't comprehend it's a trade that I don't understand why you're willing to make it but I accept it today I accept it today God in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 